the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Gorilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. This is episode number 228 with myself, Paul Spain. And I'm Mark Derricket. And I'm Sean Dring. Welcome along, Mark. Welcome along, Sean. It's good, good to be here. Great to have both of you back. Now, this is probably the first time you guys have been on an episode together. Definitely. Yep. So, good, good. Uh, well, let's let's jump in. We've got a few a few interesting bits and pieces this week. I wanted to start off talking about Sparks. Uh, new announcements came through today. New UFB plans, ultra-fast broadband. Now, yeah, we like seeing new, cheaper, you know, lower-cost plans, but... There was a little bit more as I was uh, looking through the announcement from uh, from Spark today than what we had in the past. So in the past, if you've been with Spark and you've been on their ultra-fast broadband plan, you've also had to have a copper phone line running into the house if you wanted to be able to make phone calls. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, I don't know that they even had uh, naked um, plans so that you could get it without a... Um, you could get your ultra-fast broadband without. Um, and this was sort of tied back, I guess, to, to, you know, in part, maybe just some challenges with their own network, but but also their desire to have things like uh, home alarms, security monitors, and, and the like. The, that, the whole medical aspect of it as well. For Yeah, they, they you know, they'd said from the get-go, look, uh, yeah, the, the reason we're doing it like this is so that those things will still work. We're still getting our head around the best uh, approach. And what they've announced today is in partnership with the ultra-fast broadband uh, provider, such as, such as Chorus and so on, um, they are offering now a phone line that will run purely across the ultra-fast broadband network, but it actually operates in a segment of that network that none of the other uh, internet providers or retail service providers are using. It's actually, you know, that's been a mandated service that they have to provide as this uh, this phone sort of element which separates up the phone piece from the rest. So, therefore, in theory, guaranteeing a, a you know a really good quality phone line and minimising the chance that you'll have those sort of incompatibility issues with... I suppose this comes in really handy for a 111 service as well, wouldn't it? Well, you want that reliability, don't you? So uh, you still do need, in case of sort of providing a 111 service over ultra-fast broadband, you still need to have some sort of, uh, you know, battery backup power Mm. supply. And Mm. the area of Auckland we're in at the moment, there have been a few power supply, a few power issues over the last few days, uh, yesterday, I think a number number of uh, companies that nearby uh, us had lost their uh, lost their power for for a few hours um, in I think the the Grafton type area. Our street, I'm not quite sure what happened, but they're doing some work out in the in the road between the motorway, and uh, our building had power. Well, the street was out power wise for um, yeah, I think probably a couple of hours or so. We weren't really impacted other than the couple of seconds it takes to switch over to generators and so on that are, that are covering the building but uh, um, yeah those sorts of situations in a home environment you do need to have some sort of cover yeah sure. now talking about that there was a little interesting uh, bit of news this week from tesla now oh, yeah. this one this one fascinated me um because it's really, it's really a whole new, a whole new area for Tesla. We know them for, yeah, making electric cars, uh, but now they're jumping into the business of providing in-home batteries, so that you can attach your uh, home to the power grid or to renewable energy source, and then have this massive battery in your home um, to sort of. I guess balance that out means maybe you could buy your power at off-peak rates overnight, have that charge up your battery, then use the battery during during the day. Uh, if you're you know, if you're using some sort of uh, renewable power source such as you know solar or, or wind, then use that to charge up the battery, and uh, you know away you go. You can still utilize that uh, that power when you you know when you're actually not generating. Mm. Could also be useful in like a, a shit, like um, an apartment complex where you've got multiple buildings where not everyone's going to be using the same amount of power. You could probably do more distribution and and that kind of stuff, maybe. Yeah, I think. That, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what sort of uses uh, for this come out. 
uh, we've seen, I saw an announcement, I think it was Meridian Energy, uh, saying that they have already, uh, they've already cut a deal with Tesla to bring this technology to New Zealand. So mm. um, the, bit that I, the bit that I didn't know um, was that Tesla are apparently now the biggest manufacturer of batteries in the world. That's, uh, that's pretty astounding considering this is a company that has only been around for a reasonably short space of time. Yeah, maybe a particular type of battery. Yeah, you think I might I, have I misread so. that? I mean, when we think of companies like EverReady and, and Duracell and all those But these guys are making much bigger batteries. Yeah, so are they the biggest because of the size of the batteries or because of the size of their market? Oh, so you're saying that you think they make the f- biggest batteries physically in terms of physical size? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Maybe the most of these particular types of batteries. Yeah. Maybe not even it's the physical statistics. size, but mm, I need to go and re reread my uh reread my stats on that, don't I? Yeah. It's, but it's a, it's I mean it's a very interesting thing because I think it's um the the company itself is uh has got a great brand and using that brand again to to go out there and talk to people about, you know, storing storing their uh energy is a is a great it's a great thing. It's a great market to, to try and a, a approach. It's even more interesting. I think there was the article last week that came out that, where they kind of mentioned that they were almost bankrupt a few years ago. Mm. Yeah, they certainly had the challenges. Now, oh, I, I must do the do what I had to do last week. Um, I have to correct myself. Not Mer- Meridian. It's Vector that have entered into a special relationship with Tesla, which apparently they've been working on for some time. So, um, But, I mean, the nice thing about that for us is, in theory, we don't have to wait years and years. Um, Well, it is actually a couple of years away, but we don't have to wait a ridiculous amount of time for this technology to become available. So what they're talking about in terms of pricing is um, a uh, 7-kilowatt-hour... um, they're calling this thing the, the power wall, uh, seven uh, kilowatt hour unit for three thousand US dollars, and a ten k unit for three and a half thousand US. So, yeah, good. yeah I, th- I mean, I think it would be interesting to to look at because we've got a pr- actually pretty high power prices in New Zealand. It's hmm. it's it's somewhat strange, but maybe partly because of our reliance on renewables and not using you know lower cost sources of power like nuclear. Mm. Uh, yeah, we actually pay quite a quite a lot for our our electricity. So there might be enough of a difference that yeah, I mean, oh well, yeah, I don't know. I, I haven't done any stats on it, but you think of that three and a half thousand. If you are a hefty power user and you could use those night rates or off peak power rates. Uh, might ta- not take too long to pay this off, and then you get that convenience as well. Yeah, yeah definitely. I, I, think if, uh, I remember correctly, I saw that a, a, a toaster actually uses 1,500 kilowatts an hour or something. So, yeah, you could have your toaster on for three hours if you wanted to. Well, sorry, two hours. But um, you'd probably that'd be a lot of toast. You well, yeah. you would need to you need to have your own bakery very close by to uh, to generate well, all I'm, the bread to toast. Uh, yeah, I'm not an expert. You know, I'm not a very good cook, but I'm pretty sure the toast will be burnt after that. <laughs> Thank you for that, Sean. You probably, you Appreciate your uh, your words words of wisdom. That's I mean, it is right, always yeah. great having you know amazing technologists on the show here that <laughs> yeah. you know that that can just boil down the information. And, and put it in a light that's just totally understandable. Today, Sean, exactly. you've really you've really achieved that, and uh, you know, a, a breakthrough for me anyway. So your, your three thousand watt Tesla doodacky thing will burn your to- <laughs> will burn all your toast into it. Brilliant, brilliant. All right, you might like char grilled bread. <laughs> uh, now, okay, uh, um, Spark. So, yeah, so for the, for those that are going for Spark, the other thing that they've got, just jumping back to Spark, um, is finally we now have a provider that's offering a landline only. Now, there is a segment of our community. It might uh, dumbfound our listeners, but uh, there is a segment of the community that does not want an internet connection, mm-hmm. and they want a relatively or somewhat low-cost way of having a landline in their home. And so uh, Spark have offered that from today at uh, $50 in Auckland, Wellington, Christchurch, or a little bit more than that, I think 53 50 in uh, 
in other areas. And quite interesting timing because there have been some um, um, mm, interesting reporting, shall we say, uh, by Fairfax this week on stuff.co.nz. The, the timing was very well timed. Yeah, it was. But their, their story that was talking about this seemed quite poorly researched in terms of options for... Uh, uh, for people in terms of home line alternatives, because of course you can also get things like you know Vodafone have got a uh, what operates like a landline, but it actually happens over their mobile network, and there, there are other options. But anyway, now there is an option for those that want just a landline over their uh, fibre or UFB uh, connection to their home. Now, also last week. Uh, well, what do you mean also last week, Paul? Um, we were talking about something that was now and this week. Um, last week, Zero had their ZeroCon here in Auckland. Uh, went along. There were some interesting bits and pieces there. I didn't get to catch all of it, um, but there are a few announcements that stood out to me. They are doing a... Um, uh, what are they calling it? The Zero Business Connect, which is linking them up with a whole bunch of bigger businesses... Uh, in particular, there will be smaller businesses as well, but I think it's about linking big businesses with small businesses in terms of electronic data um, transfer. So we talk about if you do business with placemakers, uh, Meridian Energy, that's where I must have got the Meridian name from, that's my excuse, uh, Office Max, uh, NZI, Insurance, uh, Watercare Services, these these companies will be able to feed, give you an electronic feed straight into Zero. Mm-hmm. So instead of sending you the old paper invoice or even email invoice, you'll just get the information arrive in your Zero system, and you can have a look at all the details and approve it or or not, and uh, and pay the bill, which is is quite nice. Is that the way that it should all go? I think so. Yeah. I mean, the, the, I, I think that. Um you know, when we look at phones and we've got Apple with its money service and everything like that, they'll you know, all, all these providers are, are looking to to make it easy to, to take your money. <laughs> the que- the qu- I guess the question is, what are the, what are the risks of that? You know, could you get fed? What are the downsides? Uh, dodgy stuff. Is there are there any risks around that? Because I guess there's a process to go through to set these things up. So you're only going to do it with people that you would you would trust, and you still get to see the information before you pay the bill, don't you? Mm. Well, I, I guess that raises the question of how you actually handle, like, querying the bill or, like, normally when you get an invoice in paper, you can then contact the company directly. But if it's now going through zero, do you have to contact zero and then they contact the company? And I, I guess it's just going to be, like, one of those kind of things where you need to work out what that new business flow of who is actually responsible for the problems. Mm. Is it actually a bug in zero that's actually showing you the wrong data or was it actually what was submitted to zero and you might not actually know that or tracking that down could be yeah 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 there could be some challenges um i would i mean i would like to think this stuff's going to actually just work pretty pretty well but uh yeah we always need to look out for the for the fish hooks and the the, the potential challenges i'll assume there's going to be some kind of way where you can actually do a dual mode where you still get your paper invoices but it's also sent directly to zero as well for if you want to trial this process or yeah and I, I imagine it you know it depends whether you're actually you know in a uh, yeah somewhere like placemakers or you might be putting a you know, a digital order through anyway and in that sort of case you know very nice for it all just to just to stay within that digital realm isn't it Mm. Um, now, also one of the other things uh, is that um, Paymark and Zero have um, have become friends, and Paymark apparently account for somewhere between seventy and seventy five percent of our FPOS transactions in New Zealand, and they're teaming up for a paperless receipt service. Uh, don't have haven't drilled down into all the details of this yet, but uh, my understanding from uh, from from what was what was shared is that we'll actually be able to put, for instance, our um, email addresses somehow tie them in with our FPOS type accounts, mm-hmm. and it will actually be able to happen at a I guess at that sort of uh, network level, so you don't have to give your email address to the retailer, which is what you you know I come across. Uh, a lot in the US, uh, you, you know, you'll often have a screen and you can key it in that way rather than them giving you a, a paper receipt. But having it linked back into your FPOS card or your FPOS account in some way, 
and just having the network handle that and uh, and then feed you an electronic copy of the uh, the invoices is great. You know, you got all those records for warranty purposes and so on. Paper receipts are uh, are really a bit of an annoyance, aren't they? Mm. Mm. Any any downsides to this? I'm very keen on it. I'm very keen. I'm sold. Well, I think I think it'll actually be adopted really quickly because New Zealand's known as being a uh, uh, pretty tech savvy, and if it does easy, then I think we we will a- a- adapt to it. Um, I think we're quite lucky as well because, in effect, there's a there's a um, a fairly mature market when it comes to the banking, and the, there's a limited number of banking systems that are here. So, yeah, yeah the, interesting. The only thing that I can really kind of think there is from thinking from the software development perspective is like I have like seven or eight or ten different email addresses, mm. and I don't have maybe like say one or two accounts but some purchases might want to go against my work account or this account or this account if there was a way that when I do that swipe I can somehow choose which account it's going towards then that would be nice but otherwise it's like all the transactions might be lumped into the wrong account or hmm Mm. Yeah, so you're going to have to carry around seven credit cards with you, for one for each account that you have. Yeah, even if it's actually physically the same account, it mm. might just be different cards for the different, I guess, category that I want to actually file these into. Mm. Um, unless the software then actually, in ze- on the zero side, kind of actually has some kind of way that you can just go uh, filter, oh, filter, just, filter, yeah, filter, just, filter. Or, yeah, yeah. The cost belongs to that centre yeah. and away you go. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, good, good thoughts. And yeah, I guess they've got to start somewhere. And the good thing is that they're talking and they're getting started. And I, you know, I haven't heard of anything like this anywhere else in the world. So yeah, you know, it seems like yeah, you know, Zero very much are you know pushing for you know some some pretty good innovation. I think within this uh, um, finance and and uh, well payments area. Is this not a vendor lock-in thing that should be of concern to people though? As well, hopefully, zero, it gets zero starts being the bank of New Zealand. No, I think the way the way that it's that they've that they've um, highlighted these varying things is that they could they're not specific to zero. So you could have any other company, yeah, any other accounting system could follow these, you know, this the same methods. Now, someone's got to get started, and yeah, and yeah, and, came, and came uh, yeah, I think you know it's, it's good to see that they're pushing the pushing the standards forward and leading the way. Uh, yeah, it would be a problem if it was going to be hard for others to uh, others to integrate. Of course, if it's a standard, but there's only one implementer, then it's not really much of a standard until you have a competitor. True, true. But there are still benefits for all those that are on uh, that are on zero, which yep. is, I'm sure, uh, certainly of interest to to zero and their growing base of customers in New Zealand. They seem to be doing rather well in this market for some reason. Mm. Uh, now, Uber is coming to um, Outlook, uh, and um, they're they're tie- starting to tie- Uber seems to be starting to tie into everything at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, more and more bits and pieces, just you know, Uber. Uh, the other one I saw the other day was uh, Zomato, which is the uh, the restaurant yep. you know, app. And uh, look up a restaurant, and then you can uh, click and uh, grab an Uber to take you to the restaurant. So um, Uber are, are very much making sure that if you are going to use any sort of um, transport service. They're going to be the one that's going to be at the forefront if you're somebody that uh, is using is used to using a, a smartphone or uh, uh, or an app. So very smart on their their part. Um, annoying if we want there to be more competition in this space. I well, see. I mean, if you think about it, it's, it's they're they're going to the biggest basically mail client that's out there at the moment, isn't it? For a business user, now, is that, Outlook is massive. So is it Outlook on the desktop or is that Outlook? on the web or how does this actually integrate you know my my understanding is with this with this relationship i think it will be you know pushing across multiple platforms so um some of the information i saw was tied into cortana and and talking about how they're they're working with that yeah the voice assistant that's built into the into windows phone and also outlook on the phone as well so you know i think we will probably see that push out across the varying flavors of of outlook and you yeah. know say you've got a meeting somewhere we've got something set at a particular location then so, uh, yeah. your your outlook will come and uh, suggest that they can provide you uh, yeah transport I mean, that's a great service i mean if you can just pick up your phone and go oh, i need to go to 
and it gives me a list of providers, and Uber's going to be the first one to do it. Mm. Yeah, you know, yeah, I guess got, similar to zero, the they'll be top of the list, or they'll be the first to do it. Over time, you know, hopefully yeah. we'll see we'll see others jump on board. I mean, yeah. Google, I think the last week or the week before, announced something like seventy new applications that will actually hook into their voice search for their Siri clone. Uh, the Siri clone. Well, okay, Google or Google Now or whatever okay, you actually want to call yeah, it. Yeah. So I'm assuming like Uber's going to be on there. It's like, take me home. It's like, ah, you've called an Uber. Yeah, yeah. I, did, I had a strange thing happen um, this last week, and I'm just looking at my Apple Watch. I was trying to show somebody the fact that, um, oh, it looks like we're seeing our um, apps updated on um, Apple Watch quite quickly. There's been, so it looks like an update already to... Do we actually the, have breaking news for the first time? The uh, the Air New, <laughs> Air New Zealand app. Um, so that's interesting. But my Uber app disappeared. So I was going to show somebody, oh, look, this is one thing I've, I've used, and I did actually have a bit of fun with it because it placed me in the wrong location when I, That's it's when I, when I used it last week. It's no, because so we're right next app. to Spaghetti Junction, and, the GP, and being inside the building, the GPS sort of tracking often picks me and thinks that I'm standing in the middle of Spaghetti Junction. And when I use the Uber app, that's exactly what it thought. And I had a very confused driver uh, trying to pick me up. And I was wondering, why is this driver calling me? He should know exactly where I am. But no, actually, the pin had dropped right in the middle of Spaghetti Junction. And uh, he thought I was standing in the middle of the Southern Motorway. Oh, well, um, so anyway, I had to re-add the, uh, the Uber app to my... Uh, to my Apple Watch, but it is back. I thought maybe that they had actually forced pulled it because maybe there was some issue with it. But or maybe there was a competing service that they <laughs> yeah. that, that Apple was just launching. Who who knows? Uh, but it's back and it and it's all okay. Uh, but it does does look as though the uh, the app developers are rolling out uh, reasonably quick uh, you know updates for these uh, for these apps. Now we we're, were mo- mo- moving on. Microsoft have just finished up their build conference. Over the, they've been uh, they've been running their build conference, or is it still going? There's um, there's, or there's something else on this week, isn't there? Well, mm. it's a rolling thing. They're, they're having it in different regions. Oh, is that what's going on? Things, so okay. they'll be doing it in Europe. And right. Well, they, well, no, they've got build, and then they've got the new. They've got a new event, haven't they? Which, um, in fact, the news for New Zealand is that Microsoft are killing off their Tech Ed conference. Oh, really? They are indeed, but they're not really killing it because actually what they're doing rebranding it is they are rebranding it. So TechEd in New Zealand is no longer. It is Microsoft Ignite. So that is the new the new flavour of TechEd. TechEd I think ran here in New Zealand for about twenty years, and now it is obviously not very successful then because <laughs> ran it for twenty years and changed the brand. Well, I think that's a global thing. So I think that's what's been going. Yeah. What we've seen news announcement f- from, as well as build, as we've seen the ignite bits and pieces of Microsoft news sort of floating in via Twitter and so on this week. So uh, I think that was what uh, that was what threw me there. So that one's coming up first uh, to fourth of September. Uh, I guess it's one of New Zealand's biggest uh, conferences, and certainly uh, by far the biggest uh, yeah tech type event in New Zealand. So. That one on the radar. Now, in terms of things at Build, uh, all sorts being shown off. Now, we had a bit of a chat earlier now around one of Microsoft's announcements, and we know that Windows Phone hasn't attracted the sort of market share that Microsoft would have liked. They threw, how many billion did they throw at buying uh, Nokia's smartphone division? In the direction of 10 billion. Uh, So, big, big bucks, but they haven't really been able to win the market share, and one of the reasons it's uh, not that the phones are complete rubbish because the phones are actually pretty good, uh, but one of the reasons is around lack of applications. Yeah, there are certain apps that are missing now. Most of the sort of the the biggest apps, you know, tend to be there the Ubers and Facebooks and um, Instagrams and so on. But there are, there are some that just aren't there. And there are lots of those local ones. So we look at uh, BNZ Bank and, you know, there's sort of more focused ones. It's not worth or, you know, often these um, yeah, companies think, look, it's just not worth us putting the time in for a smaller slice of the market. So they just focus on iOS and Android. Um, or, or they do a web-based application which kind of gives you... It gives you most of what you need. It gives you most of what, but it's not necessarily the best experience not on quite any quite. device. Yeah, yep. Um, and, I mean, the, t- the times when I'm using Windows Phone, I don't have too much of a drama with that, but 
as you start to pick up one or two more apps that are just available on a particular platform, and for me, uh, recently that's been Periscope, which is actually just on iOS, then yeah, get a little bit of a, a little bit annoying from one one platform to another. So yeah, now well, it's an interesting thing because by actually supporting other platforms on theirs, they're actually taking away that market share. One of the big things when you buy a phone is that you just don't buy a phone anymore, you buy an ecosystem. You buy an Apple ecosystem or a Google ecosystem or a Windows ecosystem. Well, I mean, so that brings us to the, to, to the story, which is yeah. basically... Basically, they're going to be shipping inside Windows 10 an Android runtime of some description that allows you to run Android applications on the desktop. Almost, because there will be a little bit of modification that has to yeah. happen to those those apps. But there, you know, from the developer's standpoint, if someone's written an app for iPhone or for Android, it will be a very minor bit of work to make it available on Windows Phone. The, the question is, I'm assuming that's more just around how it's packaged, not necessarily changing the application code. Because, from what I understand, they're working on a, on an Objective C API, which is mimicking all of the iOS APIs. They've got the Android runtime. But um, there's going to be something there that once you've configured and built it in a certain way, then when you run it on Windows, they take care of the theming to make it look as though it fits in with Windows 10 somehow. Which is going to be interesting, isn't it? Uh, but the question for me is, will, will BNZ, for instance, will BNZ care enough to go through that process? Because they will still need to test their app in that environment. There's still a bit of work to do. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I mean, BNZ is an example. I remember speaking to somebody on their digital team who just sort of, you know, poo-pooed it, didn't have any interest in Windows Phone at all. Mm. Um, but, you know, I know in New Zealand we've, we've got, you know, a percentage of the market and they would very much like to well, have those apps. It's all, it's all based on the financials of it, if it starts to grow its market share. And the other big thing as well is about it being able to scale up across the platform. So you go from your phone to your tablet to your PC to your large display or whatever. If it's the same code across all those, the, the actual size of your market goes up incredibly. So I might release an app but uh, on my Google, you know, using uh, Android or whatever, but I can use it on my TV. Uh, well, I guess that, on my Windows that's the big thing that Microsoft are talking about, isn't it? They're talking about uh, within two to three years there being a billion users of Windows 10, yeah. and Windows 10 will be able to run you know, these types of apps both on you know, Windows 10 on your phone, Windows 10 on your tablet, Windows 10 on your PC, laptop, ultimately on your Xbox, so there's all these things that you can run it across and, of course, wirelessly push it up to your TV or, or virtually any screen. So that's, I guess, the biggest story that should st- you know, start getting people interested because it's not just that focus on Windows Phone. That's what you're saying? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, Windows yeah. 10, that's why it's Windows 10 is because it's across so much more than just the just your PC and your laptop. Now the other- There's other reasons why it's Windows 10 and not Windows 9, but... <laughs> Let's not go into that. Now, the other bit that, that interested me, and we've sort of talked about this over the, over the years on the podcast, is this idea of having a smartphone in your pocket, being able to walk up to a screen, and suddenly you've got a computer in front of you that actually uh, there's just a screen there, but suddenly it is actually your your computer. I mean, that, that's what we see on pretty much all science fiction TV shows. They just walk up and use the device, and it's just there. And <laughs> yeah. Whatever they're talking about is just there. It's just essentially a remote desktop. So what we what the the announcement was last week is the next generation of of Windows phones, and there may be some compatibility with with current phones out there in the market. And I don't know whether it'll be the one, two, three hundred dollar models, or whether you'll need a five hundred or an eight hundred or a thousand dollar model. That you know I, I don't think is entirely clear just yet. But if it is a higher end model, it won't be too long before it's standard in a one or two hundred dollar phone is you'll be able to use that phone to hook into a bigger screen keyboard, you know, so wireless keyboard and mouse, and you basically do some of the things that you would normally do on a desktop computer in terms of browser web, watch Netflix, use Microsoft Word, and what they're talking about is a sort of a, a continuum, mm. or which is sort of a responsive type of application, which will be designed to work on a big screen as well as a, a small screen. And that's a lot of what they've been talking about with Windows 10 apps. So the version of Microsoft Word that comes on your smartphone will actually scale up and work just fine on a big 20, 30, whatever 
inch monitor with a keyboard and mouse and then when you move away from the screen you know we'll go back to working just fine on your on yeah, your so you, smartphone you, whenever whatever device you're walking near to or, or pairing it with you're going to get the best experience for that you're not just going to see a giant version of your your phone screen you might actually see a, a totally new uh, way of doing that, i.e. if it's a 4K screen, you know, you actually see things that exploded out because you're looking at a 4K screen. When you walk away, it shrinks it all back down to, um, you know, to whatever you've got on your, mm. whatever rest you've got on your phone. And if you're wearing a HoloLens goggles or something, then you might be doing touch and moving things around and just having the full immersive experience as opposed to a point and click or... So HoloLens was the other thing, right, that they, they showed off. And so there's a couple of new, one or two new videos online around that from the, the demos they showed, and that's pretty cool as well. Also this week, uh, Microsoft announced their .NET, um, .NET Core official distributions for OS X and Linux, as well as Visual Studio Code, a cross-platform developer tool for OS X and Linux and for Windows, written all in JavaScript and all this kind of cross-platform stuff. So... At the same time that they're announcing allowing you to run Android applications in Windows 10 and now providing developer tools across the board to different platforms, they seem to be, A, changing their entire company structure for going a lot of open source, but targeting even more developers across multiple platforms, which is actually kind of making their own platform either irrelevant or totally relevant. Mm. And... They're in a kind of a, a weird place, and I'm not exactly sure where they're going with that, whether when Windows 10 actually comes out, we'll just see, oh, this is how everything fits together. And it's not just .NET over here and this over here, and and we're just going to see this completely new world where a lot of people are going to go, oh, Mac, let's actually, we might actually go back to Windows 10 or go back to those could, and could it be a, a, a case of the old embrace and extend where in effect you support multiple technologies you get a massive amount of market share with those and then you start going well actually we need to build on top of this and, and put in extensions to do things and by that stage the, the original developers are, are left high and right yeah. I thought it was yeah. also ironic that there was the, the rumour that uh, Nokia were going to and maybe next year or a year later or so come back and restart making Android uh, handsets, maybe Android, I, I don't necessarily know. I think that's been dispelled, but it's kind of like, ah, oh, if they're working on Android and now we're going to be running Android inside Windows, even though they're completely separate kind of divisions of companies, it's like the whole e- ecosphere and everything is just getting really bizarre. Yeah, but there's nothing There's nothing to stop Microsoft from writing its own Android-based operating system. No. Uh, yeah, I mean... It's I mean, effectively, uh, they've done that with CyanogenMod, hmm. where now CyanogenMod has now kind of separated themselves completely from the Google Play Store and Google affiliation, and I believe are now shipping Outlook as the mail client. Hmm. And that's kind of a brain teaser. Yeah. Now... Microsoft Internet Explorer is going away, and the new product is Microsoft Edge. Now, Mark, I want to know your opinion on this logo. Is this going to confuse people or help people? The logo for Edge looks, I think... Like a giant blue screen. Like a messed up, uh, no, a slightly squished, a slightly... A sharp-edged version of the Internet Explorer logo. So I it guess it looks like the Internet Explorer logo with a quiff. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah. The, the, I no mean, one, no one's going to get lost looking for the looking for their browser if they're an Internet yeah, Explorer user today. The question is: Is it enough of a change that people are going to feel like this is a new browser, or the fact that they have changed so much underlying are people going to come across, or will people just stay on you know Chrome because so many people have moved off? Internet Explorer on Windows don't use it anymore. They use Chrome. Maybe they use Firefox, uh, but you know, the Internet Explorer has definitely you know shrunk in terms of its market share over, over the last decade. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I yeah, as a as a Chrome user, I, I, I use Chrome user. I use sorry, use Chrome at home. <laughs> I'm sure there's a tagline. It should be a T-shirt, but um, but also at work, I use Internet Explorer because I'm running. You know, basically the Microsoft platform, um, you know, things and like SharePoint. And I'm all assuming that the, the full screen, whatever the actual term for that full screen mode on Windows is these days, 
those web applications are all Internet Explorer, are they? Or is that like the, the JavaScript? What based? full screen mode are you talking about? I don't even know. The, the, the what used to be what called Metro. Call, what used to be called Metro. So with oh, Windows, Windows 10, UI. you don't have to run things in that full screen type mode anyway. So yeah. they'll be full screen if you're running it as a tablet. So if you're running a sort of a touch thing, like a yeah, tablet type interface, but if you're running with a keyboard and mouse, then those will be windowed apps, just yeah. like that's a, actually just like continuing other thing, under, understanding what's going yeah. on and changing changing yeah. the device. That's actually one of my favourite things about Windows 10 is it's far less schizophrenic than Windows 8. Um, so, for instance, when you go, you can actually window those things that they just come up and take up the whole screen, and then you have mm. to, you know, swipe it, or you know, you have to get around it in a completely different way. I mean, so. I mean lately, I found that Chrome has been running a lot more slower and taking a lot more memory on my machine. So, if a new browser comes out that actually solves yeah. multi-process with actual decent memory support which Chrome did really well at the start, and it's kind of... It's got bloated over time, hasn't it? I've even compared it with Internet Explorer recently and found that it will hog more memory than Internet Explorer. And, you know, so if, the the, you know, with, with, with Edge, I guess we're hoping we will, we will avoid, um, yeah, we'll get the best of both worlds, but we'll see. One thing I can see would be useful for is people, um, like, desktop developers actually embedding web views in their applications. Now they'll actually have a web view that has a decent JavaScript engine, decent HTML, CSS, and all that kind of stuff, and you'll actually have another browser on the Windows platform that's going to actually be standards compliant and actually work, unlike IE. Yeah, well, Microsoft seemed to to have got there with a lot of that uh, that stuff in recent times. They're going hardcore with 10 because initially they were going to say, well, we're going to ship IE, but also at the time its, it's code name was Spartan, mm. which is now Edge. Um, they were going to ship both of them on Windows 10, and now they've pulled that and said, "No, we're just going to be shipping Spartan on it." So that's a very interesting thing. So that's a big call. So I mean, the the question there is, will corporates who are say locked down to using IE6, will they actually be moving up to Windows well, 10? Well, that's the thing. I mean, I I, I definitely think for um, the user base who are used to seven. Um, I think going to ten from seven is a, is actually a really good thing. I think the I'll be I've been running it for months and it's been super super stable and I like the UI in, in fact that it's not so as I said schizophrenic as eight point one. Um, but that's the whole point of having those the technical previews that we've got now. Businesses should actually be testing this stuff out and running it and seeing how it is with the apps. Um, now that they've actually released Edge on the technical preview program. Uh, they are, it actually is part of that, so corporates and people can actually test it now. So it's uh, it's it's time to start getting used to this new wave, isn't it? Because going forward, our operating systems and big businesses may sort of opt out of this, but operating systems are going to be able to sort of update pretty dynamically. And yeah, we keep those new feature sets going forward, which I think is quite pleasing. So many people out there with old old systems that are unnecessarily behind the times, when actually now the software will be able to get. Yeah, keep itself current now a couple of other things before we finish up led carpet <laughs> Philips are rolling out led carpets <laughs> i love that so these are going to be able to be used in airports and so on where you maybe need to you know point people in a particular direction they're they're built in the, they're going to be built in such a way that you be able to walk over them without damaging them and so on but light these things up to point the way i guess maybe an, you could do them down an aeroplane of you know the emergency lights that don't actually have to have a special LED row because it could maybe be built into the car but there's probably all sorts of uses for uh, for this stuff yeah I wonder if you could hack into it so when you're walking with somebody you could have a I'm with stupid sign going up <laughs> right in front of them pointing well, at them I was just thinking you could hack it with your phone and then like have a, some kind of game where you're actually playing Space Invaders on the carpet or you've got like little your little um what's the little um pet thing there Oh, the Tamagotchi. Tamagotchi. Yeah, yes, you yes. have a Tamagotchi that follows you around on the carpet, and then sits at your lap, and then follows you around, little pet yeah. dog. And yeah, okay. So uh, yeah, there's all, there's all sorts I of mean, potential. I mean, basically, you're talking when you're taking it that actually, you're talking about a, a screen embedded in the carpet. But yeah, you've well, got to you've got to take it to its natural conclusion, don't you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing I like is like, um, oh, you know, I'm at I'm at the airport. I need to go somewhere. Follow the dot. Mm. You know, I turn up at my terminal, so where it is. Well, it knows where I am based on my phone and my NFC or whatever it is. 
And then, um, yeah, I just followed the dot to my gate number or something like that. It leads you, maybe have the, the word Sean sort of just floating along on the yep. uh, on the carpet in front of you and, and uh, can, yeah. takes, you to the, takes you to the right right spot. I don't know what, how it whacks you when you misbehave and, you know, wander off in the other direction to uh, look, be, look at something, some curiosity. I imagine it what, uh, what your navigation program does. It works out a new route for you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that, was a, that was a curious one. Um, the other one... If, uh, it, if, if it can track where the Uber car can currently is and actually tell you where to go to find where he's gone because he's parked in the wrong place <laughs> that would be awesome yeah get all these bits and pieces talking to uh to, to, to for dating isn't it uh, and need to, to each other red carnation anymore <laughs> showing your age there <laughs> <laughs> no i got an i got an email from uh, a u.s company over the weekend who have a kickstarter project called the autonomous desk the smart it's labeled as the smartest oh, de- office desk yet Powered by artificial intelligence. Now, you know we've all come across those, um, you know, the, the standing desks and so on. And this desk has that ability. You can set varying heights in it and have it sort of, you know, go up and and, and down. So you can work standing at it. You can sit down. But what this has got in it is a a Siri or Katana or, or Google Now type uh, capability that's hooked into the desk. So some some smarts that are attached to it. And so you can ask it to do things such as order me some lunch or varying other bits. So it's basically got an assistant of uh, of sorts built into it. Call call you an Uber or you know varying things as you would as you would expect from Siri. Yeah. My question is: Is there a benefit having this sort of locked into your locked into your desk rather than in your computer or in your smart device? My thought is a desk is usually a device you might you know, might have a lifespan of maybe a you know a decade. You know, it's going to last for a long time, right? Whereas the, you know, your other devices are well, throwaways maybe not quite the right word, but yeah, they're throwaway um, after a not not too long period of time. So I like the idea of having a a nice sort of desk that's reasonably low cost, and they're starting at three nine nine for the straight desk. Um, plus, I think it's one hundred and twenty dollars shipping to uh, to New Zealand. This is all US dollars, so it's actually a pretty good price. Um, yeah, so re- reason reasonably sharp price for for the for the desk on its own. You add another couple of hundred dollars US in if you want the smart capabilities in there. But does it make sense to actually have that in your desk? I, I don't. I don't think so. I mean, it's. It, I think the the benefits are like the health benefits of the desk is actually quite good. Um, i.e., um, you know, you uh, they, they did lots lots of research to say, oh, okay, well, if you if you have a sedentary desk, uh, you know, office job, then you're going to have these kind of problems. Mm. Um, but they were pretty obvious kind of things. Is like, well, you're going to have a heart attack if you don't exercise, and you you know, you've got a sedentary job, and you d- don't do things, and mm. you know, deep vein thrombosis is something that you know people have to think about as well. So there are some health benefits to it, but I think. Um, I query the artificial intelligence side of things. So, for instance, um, if you buy that table, then in effect you're kind of saying, okay, well, you know, I'm worried about my health. Mm, um, but mm. then it can, does it monitor with the way that you use it? So it goes, well, actually, they're not standing up all the time when, they're, when we're asking them to, or order, they're ordering takeaways all the, all the time. <laughs> so do you turn up at work the one day and then all of a sudden you get advertisements for you know, hospital and funeral services. Mm, mm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's, it, it, what what are they getting from this? I mean, it's giving it intelligence, but mm. what's the... What I you, think what, what you've you got is you've got a software layer that basically sits on top of Android, so they're actually mm. giving you giving you an and uh, you know an Android device that then has these software layers on it. And right. I came across this company first um, around the time of CES. And they were promoting their uh, personal personal robot, and it had the same sort of you know they were announcing similar sorts of capabilities, and these little robots that could sort of roam around your house. You take them into the office, and you know the the sorts of capabilities they were touting sounded a little bit too good to be true from their demo and so on. And you know I guess I would prefer to probably back. Apple, Google, or Microsoft, in terms of the personal assistant, mm. uh, you know, type thing, and not, uh, you know, be backing, you know, somebody that's using a whole 
you know, that's trying to build their own platform that maybe emulates that. Now, I mm. could be wrong, but as a small startup, I'm, you know, yeah, they've had a whole bunch of media coverage on those robots and uh, so on. The company's called Robot Base, by the way, if you want to look them up, robotbase.com. Um, and they are doing some innovative stuff, but, you know, I would tend to think if their technology is as good as some of their, their demo show, uh, you know, I think they're probably piecing together lots of smarts from varying companies and they will struggle unless they can sell truckloads of it to do to execute it really well, mm. you know, unless they get bought out by a bigger firm. So To bring this back around full circle, so for instance, if you're talking about these personal assistants that actually help you basically you manage all these different things that will do devices, you know, the different mm. devices that do things for you. Then if we bring it back to the, the Windows story of it actually supporting iOS apps and, and Google apps, then being able to take those feeds and those things that are they, they are doing and actually manage those as well as its Windows apps, it gives you that PA um, functionality across all your devices. Yeah. If we talk about those and, main mm, things. So mm. it's and I was thinking if it was talking and in, like hooking into HealthKit for the Apple Health stuff and yep. Google Health for their health stuff, having contributing their information that they're getting from your health, from how you're sitting at your desk or whatever, and putting that with the rest of your medical data that you're storing mm. to actually give you a whole holistic view of your well-being, that would be would be good. Yeah, I'm not sure if it was if it'd be worth the cost of it. But uh, all of these things will come down in price. That's that that's the reality. Yeah, technology tends to tends to drive them down. Despite what we've been hearing in the UK media, such as the Daily Mail, telling us it is the end of the internet as we know it, is eight years away. Uh, because we're about to reach the limits of what fibre optic cables are able to deliver and the internet is using more and more and more and more power and it won't be too long before all of the UK's power is used entirely up by internet and internet um, you know, type devices and servers and so on. Uh, but I fairly well disagree with that <laughs> as per my discussion on Paul Henry's show think, this morning. I think it was a slow news day when they wrote that one or they were just looking for something. To, uh, there were a lot of media outlets that, that picked it up and um, yeah, I mean it is fascinating the, the things that they come up with. My, my, my thought on it was we've got a bigger risk here in New Zealand around the internet dying um, because we just don't have that many connections to the outside world. And we, and get, if we, had we get a lot of earthquakes. Earthquakes or, you know, terrorist-type things. Those, or, those or, are, or a drunken trawler, uh, <laughs> Captain. Well, that's true, yeah. <laughs> those things are bigger risks. But, you know, we've got more, more diversity, uh, you know, coming there with the new cable linking us up, um, yeah, to, to Australia. Mm-hmm. Hopefully mid next year. So, um, although interestingly, um, now the new cable is called the Tasman Global Access Cable. Okay. Is that what it's called? Does that sound f- familiar to anyone? Tas- uh, sorry, Tasman Global Access. So I looked online. I was trying to just find some information as I was researching the story, as I do. So I thought, uh oh. Well, they must have at least registered their domain name because you know three you know, multi-billion-dollar companies have made this announcement. Vodafone. Um, you know, Spark, you know, Spark New Zealand, and um, Telstra, and so I went there. Do you have a new domain name? And so I have two new domain names: TelstraGlobalAccess.com <laughs> and uh, no, sorry, glo- glo- what was it? Um, TasmanGlobalAccess.com and uh, Tasman Global without the access.com. No, I didn't actually register them, um, but I'm 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 guessing probably within a few minutes of um, of somebody from Spark hearing this or one of those companies that's involved, somebody might get around to registering their domain names. But I, it it does amaze me how uh, you know companies will announce their name and not go out and uh, you know get their Twitter handle and their dot com and all those other things yeah. when they're uh, I mean we, when I they're mean, tech if related. At, if you look at Spark's history when it comes to domain names, you know that the. Yeah, the Spark's a new company, Sean. There is oh, no history. Okay. Oh, yeah. Speaking yeah. of domain names, have yeah. you have you have you registered uh, .kiwi? Uh, I believe that went on sale either yesterday or was it today? No, or? .kiwi's been around for a little while. No, there was, but they've just made they've made an announcement. I think it's maybe their first anniversary, and they oh, right. uh, the figures I saw that um, that, that they sent through are something like uh, fourteen hundred people have, or there are fourteen hundred .kiwi domain names registered. Right, I think probably was. most of those are people just registering their. 
domain name just as a just in case. So ASB ASB. Well, we've got Dakota Z, we've got .nz. We better register yep. .kiwi just you know just in case. Um, there are very few that are that actually I think are of much relevance now. They have been in touch about coming on the podcast. I'm still getting my head around whether I, th- yeah, what that discussion would look like. Um, so we'll see. We we may end up having a bit of a chat to them around that. I'm not convinced of any value of Doc Kiwi at this stage personally. But um, any thoughts on that, Sean? Are you no. would you register a Doc Kiwi? No. no. What word, no? What word can you put in front of it to actually make it look amusing? That's what you need to think of. It's all about the marketing. Okay. Well, I'm, well, maybe there's one or two domain names that'll work well, but you know, for this to work, they need to be selling thousands and thousands and thousands of them, mm. uh, and I don't think it's happening at the moment. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think really the, the the primary sales are those that just register it to cover their bases, and I, I just can't see it gaining a huge amount of traction. But we will see. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's us for this week. So, um, thank you, gents, very much for uh, for joining me. Now, um, where do we find you online, Mr. Mark Derrick? Uh, you can find me at Talios on uh, Twitter. T A L I O S. I O S. Yes. I O S. Ah, you a bit of a bit of a fanboy, are you? No. Okay. No. no. Just throwing that it, it, out it's, there. It's a misspelling. That's really. Or just uh, Mark Derrick on Google Plus. Excellent. I'm actually on Twitter, believe it or not, but I've got like, and I, I signed up and I got three followers, and I didn't really do anything, which kind of confused me. But uh, but my Twitter handle is uh, loaded question. Okay, well we might we might actually send you just a tweet at you or something. We, we really well, should get I, you I, using Twitter if I get a little bit more. People actually joining up, I might actually do something, but. Uh, but yeah, for three, I feel yeah. This, uh, I always try to encourage people to use Twitter more. Um, well, I just just started doing um, a regular slot with Radio Live last week, and uh, the uh, the announcer Karen Hay. We, we were talking about. I said, "You got to get on." Uh, we had this big, you know, thing around. Said, okay, yep, gonna do it. And um, actually, turns out that she signed up years ago, just hasn't used it, and so. Um, um, so that was good. So she actually she she did better than um, than I'm guessing Tasman Global Access have done, and she yeah. registered her name before being uh, geared up to uh, to use it. So uh, um, just a quick question: How many followers do you have on Twitter? I don't have very many. Um, oh, okay. In the in the scheme of it, consider you know people that are in the in the sort of media realms and so on. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. I was going to say, it would be a bit of a competition, see if I could beat you by the end of the week. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, give it, give it a go. Well, give I've it a go. Three, I so think we're up to about 6,000 or so followers yeah. for NZ Tech Podcast, and I, I, I don't have as many uh, followers well, uh, if I get another uh, three followers, and that means I've doubled my Twitter... Yeah, well, and and I think you'd That's you'd be increasing your uh, you'd be increasing your percentage of followers much quicker than Mark or I than Mark or I could in a week. Well, yeah. Although I keep gaining followers even though I don't tweet. Any, I pretty much only look at Twitter if people reply to me or send me messages. So, people, but, I, but I keep gaining more and more followers. People just love you, Mark. That's, yeah, that's weird, what it is. You're, you're just famous. All right. Well, that's us for this week. Thanks everyone for listening in. Uh, you can track us down naturally on 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 Twitter, of <laughs> course. Twitter, yeah. um, do check out our new Twitter account, which is uh, Podcasts NZ. Which is over the coming months, we'll be tweeting about more and more sort of local New Zealand podcasts on there. Uh, and we've had a new episode of the New Zealand Motoring Podcast come out uh, in the last day or so. Uh, there's new episodes of the New Zealand Entertainment Podcast coming out all the time. So, um, yeah, keep up to date with that um, new Twitter handle. And uh, Sean can compete with Podcast NZ and uh, see who has the most uh, followers. Yeah. Because uh, this doesn't have quite so, it's quite so many, um, so much of a head start. So, all right, that's us. Thanks, everyone. See ya. Goodbye. The New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.